1: Our guest today is Luis Perez Breva, who is the Faculty Director of the Innovation Teams at MIT's School of Engineering. Hello, Luis. Hi. How are you? We're good.
0: Thanks for joining us today. So we'd like to get started by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit about your background and your role at MIT.
2: Sure. First of all, thank you for having me. So I have a rather colorful background, so I might as well start there. I grew up in Barcelona, I have degrees that span from chemical engineering, to physics, to business, and to artificial intelligence from three countries. And I've actually built companies, built new technologies, and built many innovations. And that's what I did for a long time for a living. And for the last 10 years, I've been at MIT, kind of pursuing a passion of mine that manifests itself in like two different ways. On one, some days of the week, I actually worry about innovating with technology, with deep tech, specifically how to get new MIT technologies out into the world so that we, as humans, are better off. And then the rest of my week, I actually worry about how to make artificial intelligence useful. And it turns out that those two are related, but I guess only I find them to be related. Most people tell me, why are you doing those two things that seem so different? And I actually wrote a book recently about one of them, which is The Innovating, which was my way of explaining to myself why I did these two things. And the answer is kind of quick and easy to, for us AI geeks, if you want, which is that we have these fantastic tools for AI, lots of algorithms. And to some degree, we still haven't figured out what to do with them. And really, about 10 years ago, I figured out that the answer to how to make AI useful was not to be found in more algorithms or more data, but rather in solving new problems. So I needed to figure that out. So I created this class at MIT that's joined between engineering and Sloan, that's now a class have in a program in which we take MIT technologies and we figure out what problem we can solve with them. And that figuring out part is the really fun part. We assume the technologies are superpowers, and our job is to figure out how or where can we put them to good use so that we humans are better off. And that has taught me a lot also about how to actually think about AI differently.
1: Well, great. And so it sounds like you are really involved quite interdisciplinary across the different innovation teams at MIT and beyond, which is great. Part of the reason why we reached out to you for this podcast is that you've talked a lot about how there's too much emphasis on data and a hunger for data in AI. And one of the things you mentioned is that you think it's absurd that the more data you have, people perceive that the systems are more intelligent. And you know, that's interesting because a lot of the folks that we have been talking to and interviewing on this podcast, as well as a lot of our research, are folks who say that it's big data and data is part of the reason why you know, AI is where it is. A lot of our guests and our customers mentioned that. So I guess explain what you mean by that and your thoughts around the relationship between data and artificial intelligence specifically.
2: So this is, by the way, so that, you know, when I mention this in class, my students seem as puzzled as, as you guys seem to be by this comment. And part of the reason is that The way we talk about AI today is quite phenomenal and funny because when you hear AI, you imagine whatever you saw in the movies last week as the last bad robot, so you hear it. When you look at the methods used, you see people talking about big data, statistics, machine learning, and it's actually not clear what AI means to anybody when they're talking about it. And so what happens with AI is that it sort of inherits all of the problems from all the other disciplines that are buried in this keyword. So, if and this is how I started with my students when I gave talks is, if you think you need more data, you're actually doing statistics. That's about it. Because the only reason why people need more and more data is to actually apply some statistical concepts. And so you're latching into the part of AI that's mostly powered by statistics. It might work, but in my experience, and I've seen these every single time I've engaged in a project, this is how it happens for me. I will start a project in AI. I'll ask a question that's typically a bad question that I'm asking, but I still think it's good at the time. And then at some point, I find myself longing for more data because the data I have can't answer the question. And so what I've learned to do over the years is to realize the following, that the moment that emerges, instead of actually looking for more data, that will actually make my problem worse because now I'll have to clean more data. Instead, what I need to do is start changing the question I'm asking, because all I discovered is that my question was ill-posed for the limited intelligence of a computer. And so that has saved me from spending insane amounts of time trolling through data that actually don't tell anything. Now, the assumption of most people is that with data, more data will solve the problem, and so they will not have to think. And I have bad news. You have to think your way through the problem you want to solve before you can even make that data useful. And it turns out, and that's the good news, that once you figure out the question, you can actually have the computer solve, and there's a way to do that, you never, ever, ever need a lot of data. So whoever tells you that more data will make your machine smarter, that's not true. More data will cause you to have to engage more humans to figure out how to make the machine behave. That's about it.
1: I think sometimes people think about the relationship between data and AI because they think about certain kinds of problems that do benefit from a lot of data. For example, image recognition or facial recognition or a lot of the stuff around voice where where you're trying to train a system to understand or recognize something and clearly, you know, if you have a small sample size and small data set or like images that are, you know, coming from one perspective and not from another, then you'll have a less accurate rate of recognition and it's a very specific application of AI and I know that's not you know, all of AI is not image recognition, but people like deep learning and approaches like that, in part because it's been so good at things like image recognition, which is kind of data hungry, right?
2: That's an excellent example, actually. So, image recognition is not an AI problem, it's a machine learning problem. For it to be an AI problem, we would have to worry about the intelligent reason why you actually need image recognition of some kind, and that might trigger a whole different set of questions. But what people misinterpret about the image recognition problem and the, the power of deep learning is that deep learning is benefiting from two things. One is that the algorithm is pretty good at doing something that before we had not figured out a way to do with neural networks. Now we have, and it's been a great advance, a phenomenal a progress there. The other thing it's benefiting from is that we've spent 20 years cleaning image data. So, is And this is a question I pose to everyone. Is deep learning so good because we had an incredibly well-curated body of data sets that we tried and tested with every single other sub-py technology that was available before deep learning became available, or is it just really that deep learning is that great that any image would actually work? And what typically happens in this case is that there is a lot of curation of data that has happened over years that makes that task easy for deep learning. Now, take a new task where the data is not clean, for not so curated over years, and you'll discover that deep learning is not as amazing as it was for these other tasks. And the question is, why? And the answer is, because you need to clean the data again. And now if you are asking the same question, that's mostly a machine learning question, you'll need a lot of data because machine learning will be using it as if it were a statistic, meaning you are not actually asking for a decision, which is what drives intelligence. You're asking for a category for classification for these kinds of problems, which are fundamentally a statistical problem. Okay.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You take a much different perspective on things, and I like hearing different points of view on this. So, in one of your recent articles, you talked about why retail's artificial intelligence bet is all wrong. And Ron and I have talked about this how we see in the coming years there's going to be a real shift in the way that people shop and the retail experience as we know it. So, can you explain to our listeners what you mean by why you think that retail's artificial intelligence bet is wrong?
2: This, my thoughts here link a lot to how you defined the second ago, the image recognition is being a very narrow task. So today, machine learning is being applied to incredibly narrow tasks. So what we see in retail is that a lot of people are trying to copy the success of online retailers, but they forget that machine learning actually works well when the task is incredibly narrow. So the question is, is online retail at all similar to brick and mortar retail? Because if they are not, then you will have to change your retail to look more like websites. And that's what I see happening. People. retail are trying really hard to do the same things and the same kinds of recommendations that online retail does and the results are somewhat absurd sometimes so now i find i have to navigate target with an app so i have to navigate target and look at my phone while i'm doing that you know at home i don't have to do that right at home i can just sit comfortably on my sofa and pull up my ipad or my phone and just enjoy it there with comfort so they're making my task of shopping in a brick and mortar store more complicated because they're trying to copy something that works well in your sofa and doesn't really work all that great when you're actually walking around. But why is that? Because they're trying to copy methods that work in this context. And machine learning has not progressed enough to be able to copy and paste what works someplace and it will quickly adapt on its own to the other place. So I would much rather talk to a human than do a chatbot. i much rather have people pointing me to where to go than having an iPad app with augmented reality pointing me to what's on a shelf. Because it's faster. And when I'm in a brick and mortar store, I want to experience the place as opposed to being separated from it by another screen. But that's why the bet is in many ways is all wrong. It's copying online. It's only going to cause you to become a website, a physical website. I guess there are other options.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think what you're saying is very interesting. We are definitely seeing a change and a shift in the way that people are approaching just the idea of retail. You know, a whole generation is growing up now not knowing what a non-online retail experience is like and also not expecting certain things like uh, almost instant delivery and, you know, not paying for shipping and having unlimited inventory and the ability to see reviews on things. This is stuff, as you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago in retail, you couldn't get any of that stuff. You can't see a review of a product and get it delivered right away and from the comfort of your own home. So this is something that we talk a lot about this transformation of retail as we currently know it. And in particular, we think one of the end goals of AI, not just machine learning, but you know, true artificial intelligence, the perception of the surroundings, the decision-making, and all this sort of stuff is this idea of a completely autonomous retail experience. What we're also calling autonomous retail. And in these experiences, it would be the physical store but it would have very limited human interaction. And from what we're seeing from the direction of where Amazon is going with Amazon Go, but also other retailers are looking into this, Walmart and Target. You know, what are your thoughts on the future of AI in retail and where all this seems to be heading?
2: So I agree with you. I've seen the same trend that about this obsession for automation, removing humans, From the picture i'm not sure that will ever work personally so i'm severely biased to any attempt at using ai to remove humans and i'm also very painfully aware that we are really far away from the ai you actually see in the movies so that ai that's almighty that some books are alarming people about that ai doesn't exist we're not close to it it's very limited in so many ways and it works in every single thing i've worked on in my life ai works best when we make humans better not when we remove humans, actually. Every time we remove humans from the picture, what happens is that the AI doesn't perform as well. So that's my general bias. But that said, I actually have a different interpretation of what happens with Amazon. Amazon is a phenomenal company for many reasons, as everyone knows. What attracts me about Amazon from the day one is that they follow an approach to innovation to using technology that's very savvy. Savvy in the following way. Instead of constraining themselves to a product or to predicting the future, they try things out. And then they figure out and what works, what doesn't work, and then they produce something else afterwards that may or may not have anything to do with what they just did. So today, what I see is that Amazon is experimenting with Amazon Go. And in their case, they're truly bringing their website into a physical location. That's the current form of their experiment. The same that happened with the phone and with the Kindle. There is no way to know whether this will work or not, unless you try it. And that's why I love Amazon. They're trying it out. But I don't see... I would caution anyone to make a linear projection from this, because for all you know, Amazon Go will replace vending machines, but not retail the other way, because I still believe deeply that we humans crave for human interaction, even the generation born with cell phones. If I were to place a bet, I would say that what we're going to see in AI in the future is that more retailers are going to see that there is another advantage to having a brick and mortar store other than speed and convenience, which is actually enjoying the products before you buy them, which you cannot do online. And for that, there is also a role for AI to play in there to actually gather information about that, but also, as you well pointed out, to bring the things from online experience that do apply to brick and mortar, which is one-day delivery. I don't see a reason why traditional brick-and-mortar retailers could not find a way to do one-day delivery or move stock around or control their logistics with the same degree of sophistication that Amazon does, and thus create even more value in their stores. So that's actually available for them. And it's a much better present day use of the technology than the idea of having a chatbot or automating everything. By the way, I should say this, bringing technologies to scale and in general automation is something that is actually good, except when you use the automation to replace people and only to replace people, then it actually kills companies. So every example in history that we have of someone automating something and surviving, it isn't because they removed people, it's because they created new kinds of jobs afterwards and so if you don't solve the two parts of the equation your company will die the moment you automate it at least if history is any guidance so automation and ai are different ai as a technology has a single purpose like any other technology which is even if it's infancy as it is today the purpose is to expand the power of humans right and so that we can do more things when used to replace humans it eventually dies off well how long it will take that i can't predict but i don't think it will be centuries actually
0: Yeah, we've said a few times now that automation is not intelligent. So I'm happy that you said that as well. (laughs) But
2: but automation, you know what? It's a great comment. Automation is the proof that we are intelligent. We humans. People forget that all the time. Mm -hmm. How many other species automate their lives so that they can do more, at least in this land, right? So automation is not something we should fear. Automation is what allows us to create new jobs. Now, if you allow me to go on a limb here, I would say that, We may not have been doing a great job at training the new business leaders over the last several decades. And so the business leaders we have today see automation only as cost cutting. And that's a bad idea because then what that causes the companies to sort of lose the real talent. We should be training better business leaders that understand that automation is an opportunity to redirect those people that are already experts at the company they're working on to create new things that they can do for that company that machines cannot do yet, but maybe we'll be able to do in 100 years.
0: Yeah. So this is a great transition to my next question. So, right now, there's a lot of high profile people who are sounding the alarm bells about artificial intelligence. So, what are your thoughts on this?
2: You know, I find the, I have to, I I am of two minds. On the one end, I am so happy that AI has come back to the forefront, even if it is in this panicky kind of way. Because many of us have been wanting, in, and even in my past, I've been aching for a better kind of an approach to AI. And the fact that AI is now in the forefront allows us to have a better conversation about AI. Of course we also need to tolerate the fact that a lot of people have created something that looks like a new species and use the term ai to describe it so all i hear is a lot of people talking about something that's smarter than us more violent than us and more belligerent than we are that will essentially get rid of us but you know and then they call that ai but if you read the books and the news on the topic there is no grounding on the ai we have today or anything other the uh, All you see is everything they say could also be replaced by simply talking about an alien species. So I don't see why they chose AI as a term, but I am thankful that they brought AI to the forefront again, which, as you know, has been a field that has been in the forefront and then gone to the background many times over its existence. I would say one thing, and this might be the opportunity here. So the field started about 60 years ago, give or take a bit more now. And it started out with an idea, a dream, right, which is to have computers that would be as intelligent as humans are. And, you know, that has taken us very far. But it's also creating all this alarm. And I think that goal, that aspiration needs revisiting because it made sense in the 40s when computers were built with branches to imagine that there would come a day that computers would be able to interact with us in a more intelligent fashion. And to a large extent, that day has come, right? Except that they are not really intelligent. Now we need a new goal, which is, and I think a better goal, which is to think about AI as we do for any other technology that we want to bring to scale, which is to start thinking how it makes us humans better, as opposed to imagine it like in the movies. And the last thing I'll say on this one, I doubt that in the 70s, there was have been this panic about AI, because in the 70s, all the movies had good robots in them. So think about R2D2 and Friends, well, as modern movies seem to always have bad robots, except perhaps Iron Man. So not Iron Man himself, but the intelligence that helps Tony Stark. So I think that if we change the movies, we might actually get a better perception. So maybe we can, from your podcast, we can send a signal to... Movie makers, and let's start to imagine ways in which AI is actually helping as opposed to AI killing people.
1: Yeah, and the funny thing is, we talk about this a lot, you know, like AI in the movies. It's actually kind of even how we even started this whole podcast. When we first talked about what is AI good for, that was our very first podcast. And the next podcast after that was, Should we be scared of AI? (laughs) Kind of funny. (laughs) And we talk about it, you know, people are conditioned by the movies and television, but there really are great examples of positive AI in the movies that people love. And all you got to do is just watch Star Wars and look at C3PO and R2D2, those are clearly Autonomous agents with artificial intelligence of some kind, or if you like Star Trek, you know, talking to the Enterprise or looking at data are great examples. And we mention that all the time. It's not just about Terminator; it's also about C3PO right. and Data. So I think that's important, and we do highlight that. And on the same time, we believe that this is AI is here to stay for a while because of just how much investment. I think the biggest difference in this wave and the previous wave is just how much investment is happening right now with AI. So I guess really the final question for you is: Where do you see the future of this whole industry? industry going What the future of AI? Do you think we're in some brief period of flowering of AI and it's going to sort of revert to what's happened to the AI industry in the past? Or do you think this is going to continue building and having a significant change for all of us?
2: It's a great question. I'm so glad you prompted it with the investment. So I'm so glad that there's being investment in what people call AI, even though really when you look deeply, it's really investment in machine learning still. But I'm so glad that this is actually raising to the point of being an investment because this guarantees at least three four years of runway for a bunch of new companies that are trying to use it. And so we at least have those three four years. Now, Beyond that, you know, and and building on your C3PO and R2D2, those robots do something different than what people imagine the AI in Ex Machina, for instance, doing. Those robots help us do stuff we can't do without them. That's why Luke Skywalker has an R2D2 in his ship, and he can actually do more because he has an R2D2. So when I think about the future, I like to think about it that way, which is forget the AI, the fear, the obsession with data. The confusion between data and marketing online, as if it was really an AI problem. And look at what companies that have managed to use machine learning for, for their businesses, look at what they did, or most importantly, look at how they actually created the value. And I like to think about Google in its early days, right? So most people analyze Google by their business model, how they make money today, and how they are an advertising company. And they sit on a wealth of data. And that's all true. And, and in many ways, it's a good analysis to make. But what made Google useful to us is that you can search for information in ways that were literally impossible before search engines came in. And literally impossible. So, and what I mean by that is you would have to go to a library, know a lot about the topic you were looking for navigate the tables of contents of topics that you may not understand and today you have a tiny query box that's very limited in terms of machine learning and understanding but it's still powerful enough because you can encounter a topic even topics you know nothing about by asking actually naive questions and you can start there and become an expert in a way that was simply unimaginable before so that's the real value of machine learning when it was used by google more so than many other things. And so if I take that as a starting point and you look at a bunch of other companies that have built machine learning systems the same way, I always come back to the same idea, which is if you use machine learning tools in a clever enough way, you can actually scale them up to make something help us do something that we couldn't do before. So mm-hmm. in the future, what I'm going to be, I believe what we're going to be seeing is that we will soon abandon this premise that comparing machines and humans is even a good idea. And we're going to start embracing what has really worked with AI, which is AI can make knowledge that was before unaffordable affordable and foreign, it can make it playable for you. And when knowledge becomes playable, and I mean any kind of knowledge, what you do with Google to some degree is play with knowledge, then you get to ask a whole other set of new questions that you couldn't even ask before. Half the questions that we ask today are only caused by the fact that we can access knowledge in a very different way and get answers much more quickly. So to me, this means that the path forward is AI as a means to superpower our intelligence more than milking an extra 0.01% click-through rate out of an ad. And we are seeing that transition now because new questions are being asked, not just online, but in companies, even in science domains, where they are starting to ask questions that cannot be addressed by traditional scientific means. And that's time starting to see this in this ecosystem with companies that start to use AI because it allows us to probe nature a different way, which by the way makes it another kind of intelligence, which is something that at least in the movie, Turing is quoted as having said also about AI.
0: Yeah all right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. We've really appreciated the interview and your very good answers to our questions. So listeners, as always, we'll post any articles and concepts discussed in the show notes. And thank you for listening, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. This podcast is sponsored by
1: Fiverr.com. Fiverr is a marketplace for creative and digital freelance services. And in fact, I use Fiverr for quite a lot of the things that we do here at Cognolytica and AI Today, including the editing of this podcast, the generation of transcripts, and more. I definitely encourage you to take a look at using Fiverr for your creative and digital needs today. And I have a special offer for you today. Use the promo code AI Today for 15% off your first purchase on Fiverr.com. Offer valid until December 31st, 2018.